Tank, how are you, sir? I'm good, mate. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Now, for, for those that don't know, we did record a podcast yesterday, but I forgot to put my microphone in front of myself, which was good of me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna do a rerun. But uh, yeah, we're now in the knowledge that obviously Liverpool had the big win last night, uh, massive game, Champions League semi final. Um, the Liverpool and City train keeps on a rolling. Uh, it nearly feels like it's a Liverpool and City podcast at this stage. But uh, you know what both teams are doing is unbelievable. What did you uh, What did you make of the game last night? Well, I knew it was going to be. I didn't think it was going to be an easy game, but you know it's a very tight pitch and tight stadium. But I must be honest with you, mate. I was I was concerned at half time. Um, but one thing I said, I sent a message to you lads in the WhatsApp group as well. I think it un gets underestimated what Klopp does at half-time within 15 minutes because there's been a few times, well, more than a few times, where things have not been great for Liverpool and, you know, he tweaks things and changes and then the second half you come out and like, ah, now that's the Liverpool side. But I've got to be honest with you, mate, I, I was concerned, you know, when the first goal went in, I was like, oh, and then we were sloppy. I don't think we strung two passes together and they just kept coming and coming and coming. Their fans were absolutely outstanding as well. And I was worried for a bit, mate, I must be honest. When when you're in that type of situation, Tank, as you know, obviously you've been a player, you know, how tough is it to be doing this kind of three-day turnaround between games? And obviously the, the standard that Liverpool and City are setting at the moment, it's nearly like there's no let-up. Every game is a cup final. Just how difficult is it to expect these teams to keep going to the well game after game? I don't think you can... I mean, just speaking from a personal point of view, I've been involved in the success from Notts Forest side and uh, Not Nottingham Forest, they don't like that, sorry. Uh, <laughs> a successful Forest side who was going, you know, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday and the Leicester City side when we got promotion with them and you're going Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. But, you know, that's just like the league. These are like all cup finals. These are like absolutely categorically cannot lose games what Liverpool and City are in because of the quality of both sides. I mean, I think we've touched on it before, Jamie, that a draw is a disaster and it's actually not, but in the terms of the quality. So I don't think that anyone, I don't even think you could go back to the like the really successful Man United sides and the really successful Arsenal sides back in the day because, you know, a draw was okay. You could, if you went away to, if, like, if Man United went away to, say, Liverpool, when they when United were at the prime and they got a draw at Anfield, it was a good result. But the standards what these two are setting, a draw is a disaster. And I just don't think anyone can actually grasp how difficult it must be mentally and physically for these players of Man City and Liverpool to play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, because every single game is you cannot draw. It's it's like it's a must win. And that's that's well, that's when I was looking at that last night, and you're looking at Villarreal who at seventh. Um, in uh, in La Liga, and you know it's the first time in their history that they've got this far in in the Champions League. Like you don't, you're not getting a bigger occasion, and they just swarmed Liverpool. And you know, from from your perspective, you must have played in games. I mean, I played in games, obviously, at a much lower level, where you're just having one of those halves where you're just praying for half time. Do you think it was just one of those for Liverpool where it was like, Jesus, that couldn't have gone much worse? They seem to have an extra man on the pitch at this stage. They just need to get in and regroup. I think they just get, need to get in, as you say, but this is where I think Klopp's an absolute genius because he just, you see, he sprints, he, you see the Anfield sometimes, don't you, where he actually sprints down the touchline into the, the, the tunnel and he's in and, you, you know, 
he must like but he said didn't he last night he gets the analysis and he actually he, I was laughing at him last night he was like saying to the analysis get me a piece of play where we've done well and the analysis we haven't got one <laughs> <laughs> which is brilliant because we never so then he gets another analysis from another game and says look play through the lines get the half space and that's how we do it and it's just I don't think it can be underestimated how good this man this manager I mean we don't anyway but I don't think enough gets said about his half-time talks because Liverpool come out a different animal. Yeah, it's what I have to hold my hands up and Klopp proving why he's an elite manager. I was all ready to 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 bin off Naby Keita after the first half. Um, you know, I put tweeted something that it, I, di- I didn't think he played well at all. But to be fair, none of the Liverpool players had covered themselves, uh, you know, in in glory in the in the first half. But Klopp just shows how he doesn't panic. There was no wholesale changes. Um, Naby Keita was a different player, I thought, in the second half. He was able to influence, and none more so than, you know, when Klopp found the right time to bring Diaz on, he he lit the game up, didn't he? He's unbelievable. I mean, this this, this lad is unbelievable. Uh, he is an absolute... I agree with Michael Owen for the first time. I don't really like him as a, as a punditry, I'm being honest with you, but I don't think I've seen a player who's come in and made the impact he's made at any team as an instant impact and like he come on yesterday and you're like he just gets the ball and he drives it he's a nightmare he's a nightmare for any defender because he drives it he gets the ball he drives it you you clatter him he gets up and he get, he drives it again and he'll actually clatter you and sometimes you just think as a defender and you know I could look after myself in the pitch you just if someone's getting the better of you you just think and you know what I'm going to leave one on him mm. it doesn't matter with him you leave one on him and he's back straight up bouncing and he's at you again. He is an absolute nightmare. But I mean, what a player he's been. He's just he lights he lights the pitch up. It's funny. Are you prepared to to repeat what you said in your comparisons to Luis Suarez? Are you are you prepared prepared to go on record? Because and I'll give you some context before you do. David Thompson uh, said exactly the same thing to me after the game that you said. In terms of the comparisons you made with Lewis, uh, with Lewis Diaz and another famous uh, Louis that played for for Liverpool, what did you say? I think this lad's going to be better than. Him. I think this lad's going to be better than. Him. And listen, Lewis Suarez was unbelievable, but this is a lad who's only just come in in January, and he's scoring goals, he's assisting goals, he's creating chances. If he's not scoring, he's 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 nearly scoring. I, I think that this lad is. I think he's on the way to being an absolute superstar. I'm being honest with you. Liverpool's succession planning seems to have uh, hit another another gem. When you, I suppose, when you look at the the game, there's another narrative that's come out, and it it hasn't half annoyed me. And I always swear to myself, don't get annoyed by these people because this is what they want. You heard the comments from Jason Cundy on uh, Talksport about. I feel like we talk about these nuggets every week, but he's come out, and the comments that he's made about Villarreal. Not only after the first leg, but again, he's coming out with, with with negative comments. Why are they being so disrespected? I just don't understand why, you know, you're looking at other teams that have had brilliant runs um, in the Champions League. And, uh, you know, what you think of the teams like Ajax in the past who have had great runs and they're spoken about so highly. Yet Villarreal, who are punching way above their weight, have knocked out some European heavyweights on the way to the semi-final. Where does this fella get off talking so negatively about what they've achieved? The man's a clown. That's that's the whole top and bottom, and I refuse to listen to talk sports. I've got to be honest with you, I don't listen to it anymore because I just feel that like people like him and the ginger the fella, that I'm not even saying his name because I, I, he's just talked utter drivel. Um, 
they just kind of go against the grain just to get to get spoken about. There's actually no football thought process in it. Villarreal, they, I think it's a the town or whatever it's a city or whatever it is. It's fifty five thousand population. Yeah. Um. How how can anyone say that they, they they've not achieved anything? They've knocked out Juventus and Bayern Munich. You know, Bayern Munich was second favourites ahead of Liverpool for the Champions League. It was City, Bayern Munich, and then us. And they knocked them out quite comfortably. I watched the second leg at Bayern Munich, and it was like, it wasn't as if they were hanging on and clinging on for, for dear life. They were actually, like, in the game throughout, and it was a perfect game plan, and he hit them on a sucker punch and scored a late winner. Like, so, the, I think that that's been Liverpool's most difficult Champions League game this season, out of all of them. So, I, yeah. I just don't understand how they're not getting... They were outstanding, Jamie. I just think they were... Well, we were begging for half time. I think the big thing that you've got to think is it was probably one of those where you just can't keep that intensity up for 90 minutes. Like they were, they were everywhere. And, you know, there's always, obviously there was some tactical tweaks from Klopp, but at the same time, you could see noticeably Villarreal dropped off in the second half. They give it everything they had in the first half and it very nearly worked for them. But then Liverpool still had a couple of gears to go up and and that's what ultimately made the difference in the end. It's just, the the thing that fascinates me the most, I suppose, about what City and Liverpool are, are doing, and we'll come on to City now, is this this three-day turnaround. And you touched on it a little bit there, Tank. What does that do for a team? Because the, the thing I can't get my head around is, you know, you got, you're bouncing from game to game. You pre- pretty much don't have time on the training pitch, I assume, in between these games. So mm. how are you able to prepare for opposition to opposition and, and, you know, the tactical phases of play that you might do? Because I assume it's not done on the training pitch unless you're doing it and it's at walking pace. Or like, what's the usual setup if it if it is these tight turnaround between games? Well, back at, back when I was playing, if you're playing on a Saturday, you used to do all your tactical stuff on a Friday. You do like your shape, how the opposition are going to play. You'd have like as as it was then, we'd have the reserve team. Uh, so you'd have the reserve team playing. Say, for instance, we're playing Sunderland in the league. So if Sunderland played a four four two, you set up as a four four two, and what they do, they set plays for, they set plays against, and you do you you know you're doing that on the pitch. Then you have obviously your tactical stuff the morning off the game where you you know the manager get the boards out and say this is what they do. You mark him. You do this. You do this. But I don't know how these sides, Liverpool and Man City, are actually getting to, as you just did in early heads. I don't understand how they're doing it because, I mean, Liverpool, I presume they flew back this morning, possibly. I don't know. I might be wrong. They might have gone back last night, but they flew back this morning. Um, I, I'm not too sure. How, are they going to go back into training? I know that Liverpool sometimes trains late on, but it's surely it's just a recovery day. And then all of a sudden, you've got tomorrow to try and prepare, you know, get your shape, your your, your formation, your tweaks, your analysis. If for Tottenham on, on Saturday, it's like, I don't know how to fit in this in. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. And you talk, it just, it was interesting, I suppose, to get your perspective because you hear managers talk about it a lot and it's not just exclusive to Klopp. People like to say that he's moaning, but I remember Solskjaer saying similar in the past. You know, you're looking at the Premier League games, Liverpool had to go to Newcastle early, um, you know, after a European tie a couple of days prior uh, or a few days prior. You know, the demands that are being put on these footballers at the moment, it just seems like, Never before, you know, and there's no hiding place. The demands, the, you know, the speed of the game, it, it really is a tough ask for a lot of these elite players now. It's a huge ask. And look, I know they have the best of everything, but still, it's a, it's a huge ask. And 
we touched on this. We've spoken this prior. I don't think that we, as a as an FA or as a league, do enough for these top sides. And this is nothing to do with me being a Liverpool fan. This is including Man City and even Man United back in the day in the Arsenal. We don't do enough to help our 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 teams, our home nation teams do well in these European competitions because, you know, let's get it right. The fact that Liverpool played on Wednesday last week in the Champions League, you know, in a tough game and then we're asking them to kick off a 12 o'clock at Newcastle away on a Saturday morning. It's just ridiculous. It's stupid. You know, they should be they should be playing Sunday. And this is, a, this is including the likes of, you know, the Europa League, like Leicester and West Ham. We should be encouraging these clubs to, and helping them out more we can. And the, the the unfortunate thing is we've got the best league in the world, but it's run by people who who have, in my opinion, no interest in football and the well-being of players. All they're interested in is viewing numbers and subscriptions. And you know, it's like Man City are playing tonight. Really, Man City shouldn't be playing until I don't think they are anyway till Sunday. Liverpool playing last night away in Villarreal. Liverpool should be playing on Sunday. You know, West Ham playing on Thursday in the Europa League. They should be playing Monday night. Just to, just to give them that extra day recovery and to help them. You know, in my opinion, this is just me but loving football and putting rivalry aside. I'd love to see West Ham win the Europa League or Leicester City win the Europa League. But we do everything what we can to make sure that they can't because we're asking them to play like Thursday, sometimes Sunday morning and just... The players are good, you know, they're out and they're out on the feet. And it's all right saying you just squad location, but to win the big things, you need you need your best team but your best players in it. Yeah, I I think that I think you hit the nail on the head. There just seems like there's it's a series of business people making football decisions, and the two people or the two sets of people that seem to suffer the most are A, the players. And it annoys me because on social media you can't have this debate without people saying, I wish I was on their money. I'm you know, that all they're being asked to is play a couple of games a week. But these are the same people that if a performance of a centre midfielder drops two percent, they'll be yeah. asking for him to be dropped and calling them all yeah. sorts without any, I suppose, um awareness that this is just a result of players keep having to go to the well and as I said there's no hiding place so yeah it just it, it it blows me away to see the level of consistency and if we if we kind of turn our focus over to City you know they the pressure was on for them over the weekend you know Liverpool got that early result in I think they probably earmarked that game as a potential banana skin looking how well Newcastle have done since Eddie Howe's come in early kickoff never easy um but Manchester City were able to to bat Leeds away with relative ease. Um, I, I know you thought that they maybe looked a little bit susceptible at times to to the counter from Leeds, but at the end of the day, City managed to get it done and, and handled the pressure well. They did, they did. To be honest, to be fair to them, but I think I touched on this with you. The one glimmer of hope for me, and this is this is with me Liverpool hat on, is they give not up like three, you, mate. I know, not... I know. <laughs> But they, they did give up three or four clear-cut chances towards the end of the Leeds game. Um, if that's Benzema or a top-draw striker in them positions, their goals, their goals. Now, look, City were comfortable. It was 3-0, you know, 4-0, whatever. But if that's a 1-0, 2-0 game and they give them they give them chances up, they give them chances up tonight, what they did in the last 15 minutes against Leeds United, Benzema or Real Madrid players, they take them three chances, their three goals. And that's just my little glimmer of hope that City may. may <laughs> I, give love the that, I love that the hope is still there. Uh, because I, I suppose the, the big question will be tonight, you know, and, and we've spoke about this at, at length. I think everybody has. It, it nearly feels like Pep Guardiola, rightly or wrongly, his his 
time at City is going to be defined on whether he gets this elusive Champions League over the line. And he does have a tendency to overthink things as, as he enters the latter stages of the Champions League. What do you expect from City tonight? Because as you said there, they've got arguably one of the most formed strikers, Real Madrid, in the form of, of Karim Benzema. If they're giving him half chances, like that goal he scored, um, I'm trying to think, that in the in the first leg, it wasn't even a chance. Yeah. It, like, it wasn't really. even a chance and he finished. No. It was ridiculous. His body shape was the wrong way for a start. So what do you expect from uh, to see tonight? I think City will go through. I think it'll be, a, it's, it's one of them where there's going to be goals in the game. I think they'll win the game 3-2 and I think they'll go through. But would it surprise me if Real Madrid come out and won that game 3-1? or No, because they have, they have got, I mean, they've got, Sheer pace in the in the in the wide areas, and as you say, I mean, Benzema's in form like that. When you when you've got a man in form like that, I mean, it's not that, that I don't even think that was a half chance the goal he scored against City. Same. You know, I thought uh, Zinchenko his position was great, and you're like as a left back, you're like yeah, he's in the goal because I watched him. He's closed like, the distance. Yeah, he's actually not done nothing wrong, Zinchenko. It's just he's on it in a flash, and he's got contact on it, but the contact's outstanding. And then as you say, I'm looking at his body shape, thinking. How, how, how's that Doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it was so far in the corner, like, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I do think it'd be a fantastic game. Um, it's one of them, as you've just touched on, Jamie, will Pep try and over, overthink things and overcomplicate? Look, the man's a genius and <laughs> no one's having a pop at him, but he has a tendency to try and overthink things and overcomplicate things in big, big, big games. And there's none bigger than this tonight. See, I, I look at it and I think if City play their normal game, City will, will steamroll anyone bar Liverpool in my opinion I, I think they're that good I think both teams are, are, are right up there if you're a player tank you know and all of a sudden it comes to a big game and then your manager comes in the dressing room and starts like I think it was Leon last year wasn't it that they got knocked out against yeah. um, and they start trying to do a new shape or a new system me as a player I'd be looking at that thinking he doesn't trust us here He's mm. trying to change. Why, why aren't we playing our game and imposing ourselves on them? We're the better team here. And it just creates that seed of doubt. Have you ever had something like that happen in the dressing room before? No, because when, when we've had the successful sides what I've played in the past, and I'm, I'm not talking about this level, but, you know, the successful things, it, it was kind of like, if it's not if it's not broke, don't fix it. Kind yeah. of, you know, we had a formation we played with Dave Bassett, and we had a way what we played with Dave Bassett, and that was our way. we you know, we kind of steamroll that championship that season. And under Mickey Adams at Leicester City, we had, it was the same thing. We had our way, we had our style of play. We were a big, powerful, aggressive side, except me. You know, we had, <laughs> we had like... You didn't get that nickname, Tank, for no, no reason. No. Come on now. <laughs> no, I know. I'm on about height. But yeah, so, you know, with Mickey Adams then, say, for instance, coming in the the game where we needed to win to get promoted and then all of a sudden he went to a back three, you'd be thinking, fucking, you know, we're steamrolling the league, why are we doing this? And I, I think it must have that effect because was it the Chelsea game in the league, like he, he put the two hold midfielders in yeah. um, and you're kind of like, why? Mm. And I believe that cost him the Champions League, you know, against Chelsea as well, so hopefully he does it tonight. <laughs> there, was a, there was another thing I wanted to get your opinion on because Pep has a tendency to to, it must be annoying for Pep, right? Because Jurgen Klopp in personality is worlds away from what Pep Guardiola is. And it's rightly or wrongly, there's, there, there is no wrong there. They're just different characters and, and that's their strength. But 
Pep gets a little bit rattled, I think, by Liverpool and maybe some of the attention that Liverpool gets. And he come out with some interesting comments. I think Salah was awarded the Football Writers um, Player of the Season. And Pep come out with some interesting uh, comments in his press conference because he said, well, Jürgen said that he's got the best keeper. He's got the, the best defensive midfielder. He's got the best centre-back and the best centre-forwards. So it's only right that Liverpool win all the awards. Did you find that a little bit strange? Do you think Pep has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder when it comes to this type of thing? Yeah. But Liverpool, I've got the best keeper centred off, defensive <laughs> centre midfield and centre forwards. That's just a fact. You know, we've spoke about the Liverpool goalkeepers and their Man City's keeper's a cracking keeper. But if you're if you're in a one-on-one situation to win the Champions League and you've got, say, Benzema running at you and he's one-on-one, I think 90% of the population of football would pick Alice in the head. Mm-hmm. He's a better keeper for me. Van Dijk is not even a comparison compared to City Centre-Alice. Fabinho was streets ahead of anyone when he's on his game. And Mo Salah's numbers just are Mo Salah's numbers. No one else can get them numbers. So, yeah, look, he, he, he's defending his own club and his own plays. Because I know he's spitting his dummy out over Kevin De Bruyne. But we've spoke about this, Jamie. You, you, Mo Salah's numbers are ridiculous. And I didn't realise the amount of assists. What Mo Salah's got this night. season. Yeah, it was the same. You're like, oh, wow. Top really? goals and top assists. You know, so what more does Mo Salah do? He's rightly the football writer's player of the year, in my opinion. De Bruyne is a phenomenal footballer. He's one player who I would have at Liverpool in a heartbeat and... But for me, he's not—he's not at the level of Mo Salah. Yeah, yeah. It's—it's it's interesting because it's always around this time of year that you're getting people doing their teams of the season, and this—you uh, know—this player is going to win this award, and it's very difficult for rival fans to take their rose-tinted glasses off. Um, you know, and I, and I think from from my side, I I agree with you. I think objectively speaking, I think of the players that were mentioned, it's maybe only Rodri for me who has is is, is close. In in yeah. maybe comparisons to Fabinho, because I think Rodri is a fantastic player. He's an absolute tank yeah. as well. He's a, he's a, he's he's been brilliant for them. But I agree with with the, with, with the rest. I think want to flip gears a little bit now and um, talk to you a little bit about a, a club that was you know close to you. Obviously, your your son is um, your son is there. Um, you've obviously got friends. I think it was Ian Wome. It was a teammate of yours. He was obviously close yep. to um, uh, to Sean Dyche. Burnley got a massive win at the weekend. It's been some turnaround since Dyche left. Do you think it's... Can you put that purely down to the new manager bounce or do you think there's a little bit more in it? I just think he's, he was there a long time, Dyche. Um, and I just sometimes think maybe a new voice has come in with just slightly new ideas and new bits and pieces. And I just think that's had a, had a big effect. I mean, I watched the goals against Watford um, and the big difference, what I noticed, was that the centre midfield players, Burnley centre midfield players, who both scored, play a lot more with a bit more freedom. I'd say, you know, Jack Cork scored the diving header from a wide, a wide cross, and he's not scored in ninety odd games for Burnley. Um, and then the other boy who scored the winner uh, is a good player. And I just think it's just a different voice, a different kind of, just a few new ideas what's come in and just sparked it. But it's a strange place, Burnley. That's why, you know, I go there three or four times a week with Jack and he goes training and it's it's lively. It's it's a lively place. You know, it's not like you wouldn't think it's fighting relegation. The people around, they're, they're happy. They're, there's a buzz about the place. There's a buzz, but there was a buzz when Dice was there because they're used to this. You know, they're, they're a small club with a very, very small budget, the smallest probably in the Premier League by a long, long way. 
and they're used to this fight, and this is what I think will keep them in the league. It's funny because I think there's this perception of Sean Dyche that he's a certain type of manager. You have got a very different perspective. You said his attention to detail is is incredible, didn't you? That's phenomenal. His attention to detail. I, I, I worked with Bailey's under 16 for a while and used to go on and do the day release. And, you know, some we we do the stuff with the 8 to 16s and we do analysis and we'd get some of Sean Dyche's analysis. And it was actually a Liverpool game. When they beat Liverpool, uh, Turf Moore. And his analysis pre-game and the way his side set out to do it. And then we were fortunate enough, obviously, the, the result was Burnley 1-1-0. Uh, this was about four years ago. And then it showed you his analysis and then how the game played. And I was like, wow, wow. He was like and Yuri he, Geller predicting the future, was he? <laughs> oh, it was amazing. He was like, let, we will not let them through the middle of the pitch. Everything goes out wide. And it was just, it was like picture perfect what he was doing. Yeah. He basically, Burnley basically played in the 18-yard box to the halfway line. And they just give Liverpool a space and just said, cross it. And the Liverpool were putting crosses into the box and you got Ben Lee and Tarkowski and it was bang, bang, cleared, cleared. Hit us on the break and uh, Andre Gray scored. And yeah. they won one nil, and it was just like you're watching this analysis pre the game, which was recorded. Then you watch the game, and you're like, "This is this is unbelievable." And his attention to detail is second to none. He's a top draw manager, to be fair. I would love him to uh, to, to get a big job. He deserves one. Yeah, I always thought. I don't know why. I always thought that he could have ended up with the, the likes of an Everton job um, in in the past. Yeah. And and you know, talking talking of Everton, you know, you look at the job that Frank Lampard obviously undertook. Um, I, I've been vocal. I didn't think he was particularly the right man for the job. I didn't think he was overly qualified for for the job that needed doing at Everton, given the fact that they were facing relegation. But uh, Jamie Callagher did some interesting analysis on Monday night where he's probably said that Everton have maybe embraced a little bit of the dark arts. They seem a little bit more solid. There seems a little bit more fight in them. And one thing that's going to help them, I think, massively, they're going to need the support of the, of the Goodison faithful. And, and they certainly had the place bouncing at the weekend. And Let's be honest, it was a superb result for them, which could be really telling come the end of the season. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. And, you know, the atmosphere at Goodison, you know, when it's like that, they're electric and they drive the team forward. And, you know, it's you know, we talk about the dark arts. They, they need they need to do that in the position what they're in. They've got to, you know, it's win by hook or by crook. They've got to get results. Um I thought he were outstanding against Chelsea. They can't have given up space and there was a clip or a watch where they won the ball back. There were seven players on, you know, near the dugout on the uh, Everton's right hand side. And the seven players, all Everton players, were swarming all over Chelsea. And uh, I just I was watching, just thinking if Chelsea had a bit of composure, he could just pop it out and the big switch on us. But Everton were prepared to give that up. And they won the ball back and they kept winning the ball back. And it was kind of like a little bit what Villarreal done to us in the first half last night, to be honest. Hmm. And they just swamped all over Chelsea. Um I thought Chelsea were awful as well, by the way, and that's not taking anything away from Everton. You know, it's probably a good time to play Chelsea at the minute. Um, but I still think Everton will go down. I was going to say, that was my next question is, you know, you look at maybe lead fixture list, it's not exactly easy. Um, Everton certainly haven't got an easy fixture list. You, you've obviously said that you, you fancy Burnley to stay up. You still think Everton will go down? I do. I know Leeds have got, they've got difficult fixtures, Leeds, but take the Man City uh, game aside from it, you know, where you can see the goals. I think their new managers come in and they're very, very like rigid and structured and they look like they're not going to concede too many goals. I know that sounds silly to say, but it's Man City they were playing. You know, mm. Man City could do that to Man City could do that to Liverpool. So 
I just looked at them against Palace and they just I thought they looked, you know, structurally right and under Bielsa they were conceding three or four goals a game. And I think this manager's come in and just shut up shop and has like made them difficult to beat. And I think they just may have I think they'll nick a couple of points which are just just may see them over the line. I think Bailey, I think Bailey will be okay. I genuinely do. You've got Aston Villa at home, Aston Villa away. Um maybe Tottenham at home, I think, and I can't think of the the games they've got, but I know they've got Aston Villa twice and you wouldn't put them past getting four points from Villa home and away. You know, they've got they've got ten points out of a possible twelve and they're, they're an informed side. Um I look at Everton's fixes and I just think not hundred percent sure where they I think they need six or seven points to get out of it and I don't see where they're gonna get them. Right, so uh, there's a quick, I want to finish on something a little different, right? But before we do, I just want to get your opinion on something that we were both quite vocal on. And I want to see, is it time for us to eat humble pie and admit that potentially we, we might have got it wrong? And that is Cristiano Ronaldo, right? He's now, I think, 18 goals for the season. Um, at the tender I think he's 36, 37, is he? Um, you know, he's playing in a struggling side. Has that signing or your view on that signing changed? Do you think it's been a success? And the next stage to that question is, you know, you're looking ahead to the new manager coming in for Manchester United. Given the goals that he scored this season, is he a player that you'd be looking to keep? Or do you think he's probably holding back the developments of, of, of some of the other players? Well, you just hit the nail on the head with your last question there. Marcus Rashford has had the worst season of his career because he's no longer getting game time, because look, Cristiano Ronaldo, look, no one can say nothing about him. They, what the, the man is and done is, you know, we'll probably never see it again in our lifetime, but him and Messi have done, and the goals they've got. But yeah, he's got 18 goals and a struggle on Man United side, but he's 37 years of age. Man United are a club at the minute what need development and they need... They need to rip, rip the page up, if you like, and start afresh. Now, I don't see any point in keeping Cristiano Ronaldo as part of that Manchester United side. This this new manager who's coming in, the Ajax manager, is kind of like a new modern era manager where it's like your work ethic, you're pressing, and he's got a, a way of playing. You can't do that with Ronaldo. You have to allow Ronaldo to do what Ronaldo does. And yes, he will score goals. He is a world-class player, has been since God knows when. But surely to God that you've got to be looking at the future. It's not just about the next six months or 10, 12, 15 games. It's got to be the bigger picture. Now, Marcus Rashford, I mean, you go back to Marcus Rashford a couple of seasons back. I used to dread Marcus Rashford playing against Liverpool because he used to terrorise us and he he, he used to absolutely obliterate Trent all the time and he'd score goals. And he's just kind of become this forgotten player. Surely to God, your future's better than his hands and developing him and getting better players around him and, you know, get feeding him. And he's got all the attributes to be a top Premier League striker. So for me, it's, it's, it's been, a, I'm not saying the signing hasn't worked. I just don't see any benefit to Man United as a club as keeping Cristiano Ronaldo at the club. I'm being honest with you. Yeah, it's always an interesting one with those type of things because I always get the sense with, with the Ronaldo thing. It's nearly what Liverpool suffered with for years where it's like, Lesser players will just look to give the ball to him in the hope that he'll create something. And and Liverpool used to do the same to Gerard. It'd just be give the ball to Gerard. And the team nearly a lot of people they get their backs up with this. And and I think Everton had this a little bit with Lukaku. And I think Chelsea have probably 
faced a little bit of this with Lukaku. You nearly have to funnel everything through them. And if they don't perform, then the team doesn't function. Whereas I'm still of the view, and happy to be proved wrong on this one, Ronaldo was brilliant. If he gets a chance, great. But I think the team will function better if Manchester United are able to bring in a more mobile forward, for example, that buys into the way of play and the way Ten Hag has set up his Ajax team. Like you, I, I don't think Ronaldo necessarily fits that. Um, and I think the United team will function better without him in the team. And that's nothing against Ronaldo as a player. He's incredible. I actually have been massively impressed with what he's done in the circumstances this season. Yeah, I'm, But I'm, I'm the same as you. I think United will be better off uh, bringing in fresh blood in the in the summer. Um, go on, Tang. You want to add to that? No, I, I, I just think it's... You can't be looking to build the future of a club. On, I mean, he's going to be 38 soon. You, It's like you look at Man United's front line and you've got him and Cavani and you're like... The average age, the, the combined age is about 94. It's like nearly as old as me and you. But <laughs> it's kind of, they have, they've actually got some really good talent. I know like in, uh, Mason Greenwood's got the issues, but you know they have got some really good, talented, young attacking players. Mm. And I just don't see why a 37-year-old player could benefit that. You know, Sancho, do you sign Sancho? I, I used to watch Sancho and Bruce Dortmund and think, wow, I would absolutely love him in a Liverpool shirt. I look at San, the Sancho at Man United now and I'm thinking, thank fuck we never signed him. Yeah, he's regressed. And it, it, seems yeah. a, it seems a common theme. That's why I'm interested, I suppose, to see what Ten Hag does with these players. Because he does have a... There's some good, young, exciting players there. Um, but like you, I think the biggest challenge that he's going to face is... You nearly need to rip up the rule book now. Um, you know, you need to to, to press reboot. Um, and he's got some tough decisions with some senior players that he that he has to make, particularly yeah. Ronaldo. I think Harry Maguire. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how that pans out. Now, Tank, I want to finish on something that we started yesterday, but me and my stupid microphone messed it up, right? And this is the chance for new listeners because we're getting new listeners uh, all the time, but also. Old list, old time listeners who are fans of yours, they enjoy your contributions on the podcast. It's going to be a little chance for them to know a little bit more about you, right? So, we're going to finish on some quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. All right. Um, okay. So, to start off with, your favorite pair of football boots? Mizuno. Meow Mizuno, what I used to wear. Never, never, I've still got them in the garage. Ward, black, a black and, and the black and white jobs. No, no colour boots. No coloured boots. Yep. No, no, black white with a floppy tongue. Best boots ever. Love it. Favorite teammate, and you can decide on this. Depends what you want from a teammate. I've, I've played with some great, great lads. Dave Bassett was brilliant. Jack Lester was really, you know, we terrorised Jack Lester. What a guy he is. Loved him. Uh, Mark Crossley, great lad. But Jeff Thomas, you know. I, the lads at Leicester City have gone in great with Muzzi and all of them, but just for the the laps and the the shit we got up to, it's got to be Andy Johnson. I mean, the fella's absolutely round the bend, but what a guy. Never a dull moment. <laughs> what, if, if I was to ask some of your other teammates their view on you two, how do you think they'd, uh, how they'd describe you both? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, We were a... Terrible package, let's just say that. Chuckle Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite away stadium? Yeah, it's tough, this. It's like, obviously, I love playing at Anfield, being a Liverpool fan, but, you know, you also love playing at Goodison. Um, 
because we won there actually. I set up the winner there for Pierre, so that's always a nice one. <laughs> but the, I, I used to like the old you know, like Portsmouth away when we were in the uh, Leicester and Portsmouth, they're going toe to toe for the league title. And um, I mean, the atmosphere there was 20 odd thousand there, and it, it, Portsmouth is a fantastic away stadium to go to. Uh, but it's got to be Anfield. I love Tottenham. I love spare the old White Hart Lane as well. See, it's funny. You're kind of losing it now with these modern stadiums. All the ones that you've just mentioned there, the old White Hart Lane. Yeah. It would have been Filbert Street, I assume. So Filbert Street. Um, you know, all these at uh, Portsmouth, uh, Fratton Park. Fratton Park. They're, they're all on top of you. It seems like the yeah. fans, there's no distance between you, the players, and the fans. Did that make more of the atmosphere? Port- Portsmouth was horrible. It's like they're, they're literally... You know, you, the, could the throw pitch a is there, you. and they, they're like they literally, they, they could swing in it, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. And the atmosphere was, you know, but don't get me wrong. Paul's had a good side, and he had Paul Mason all them in the side. He were the, he were the top side, mm. but the atmosphere and play up, pumpy, pumpy play up, and the bells start going. It's a proper old stadium, mate. Honestly, when it's in full pump, there's not many better than pumpy. <laughs> that was nice. I like that. Uh, <laughs> okay, so toughest opponents. Yeah, we spoke about this now. Do you know what? I've, I forgot his name as well. It's Donovan, the right winger from uh, West Brom back when I was only 17. It was in, in the Tramier side and um, he was a, he was an handful. He was a nightmare to play against. You know one of them who kept chopping and changing and doesn't cross it in the end. You like just cross the fucking just busy, ball. real busy. Yeah. Just used to go and cross it with your right foot and you dive in to block it and he cut back on his left. You dive in to block it and you go on his right. You're like, mate, just cross the fucking ball. <laughs> I'll let you. <laughs> but yeah, Don, I can't, I'll have to find his uh, first name, but he was a good player, to be fair to him. West Brom with a good side then. Yeah. Uh, best career advice? Yeah, the best career advice, in football-wise? Yeah. Yeah, you need to prepare for when it's finished because that, that you know, that knocks you for six. It really does. I was going to say that actually leads me to the next one, which was best advice for young footballers. But I assume it'd be it'd be something similar. Like we've spoken about this on podcast before. Just that that I suppose preparation in terms of planning for life after football. You're very yeah. passionate about this, aren't you? I am because we never had none of this, and I've speak I still speak to lots of players who I played with at my era, and lots of them struggled. I've struggled myself, you know, as we've spoke about. And listen, it's. The best advice is make sure that you've got stuff planned and you know things put in place, which they do nowadays. To be fair, clubs and the FA and that they have got stuff in place. The FA don't. The FA don't do anywhere near enough. To even I'm talking about kids who get released as a, from academies now. There's not enough done for them because they're getting the dream snatched away from them. And in my opinion, the FA they're not great at all in any any state of most things for footballers and the members they don't do enough but yeah you need to prepare because you know when I finished I finished through injury quite early and then it's like one day you're a footballer the next day you just sat at home in front of the telly thinking what now what what you do and it's it can be painful so yeah prepare for the finish get stuff in place you know, uh, businesses or, you know, have, have something functional for you for when you finish to keep your mind occupied. Brilliant advice. Um, last couple. Biggest fear? Frogs. <laughs> See, now, it still makes me laugh. I heard you say this yesterday in the pod. Uh, it never was, right? No. Frogs. Why frogs, mate? <laughs> I just don't like them, mate. They, just, they don't like the way they look at you and they're slimy. And, oh, yeah. And our cat used to bring them. And uh, I remember there was a kid when uh, the kid said, Dad, the cat's got something outside and I've gone out to look and it's jumped at me, mate. And listen, 
the screams. It was like the highest pitch screams ever. <laughs> but I can't stand frogs, mate. I think they're vile things. It's the unpredictable nature. Because I, I told oh. you the story, didn't I, about that bird coming into our house. I'll, I'll put it yeah. up on the social media page. I don't mind a bit of ridicule. Bird came into the house. I thought the kids were on a wind-up for uh, April Fool's Day. And there was a bird sat in the front room. And this thing flew. And it must have sensed fear. Same with the frog. Sense fear. It went straight for my eyes, mate. The noise I made. I didn't think it was physically <laughs> possible for a man to make a noise like that. So I, I feel your pain on that one. Um the last one I want to ask you, right? You're on death row. You've yeah. committed a crime. Um, you've killed. Uh, you've killed one of the. Uh, actually, no, I can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're I on death row, right? Yeah, <laughs> you killed a frog. Yeah, killed a frog. That's better. You're on death row. You can pick three meals and a and a beverage of your choice to have before you croak it. What are you picking? Well, you've done this to me yesterday. And I picked three meals, and you said no starter or dessert. Yeah, you were you were you were in for the long haul with your choices yesterday. To yeah, be fair, so I'm going to pick a starter, dessert, and uh, a main meal. So yeah, the starter. You can't go wrong with prawns. So I'd like a prawn starter, not prawns like uh, with mayonnaise. Um, I get something at the Turkish restaurant by man. They like prawns in chili and oil, and they're, mm. they're amazing. So I'll go with that. The old trusty steak and chips. A nice fillet steak and chips, and to finish off, you actually put bros of just. Are you going to go banoffee pie? We're going no, banoffee pie. We're going, ban- <laughs> but it's got to be the digested base. It's got to be the oh, crunchy wow. you've, base. You've yeah. really thought about this oh, now. Yeah, I like yeah, it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the, bev- the beverage. Yeah, go on, Jamie. Me beverage. Oh, go on, lad. Go on. It's a, it's it's the finest, isn't it? Your neck of the woods, does it? The old oh, black stuff. Good man. Yeah, a yeah. proper pint again. It's a proper good Irish pint, pint again. Yeah. yeah, that'll do me. Yeah, yeah, that'll fill you up. All right. I'll die happy. Yeah, you'll have to undo your belt buckle a little bit by the sounds of it. But uh, key one on the steak, peppered sauce, yes or no? No, I like a little bit of the mushroom sauce on the side, not on the steak. I'll dip in if I want to dip. You're a dipper. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, right, mate, that's uh, that's enough for us for this week. We uh, we will hopefully be having Christy back with us. Um, for those that don't know, he's got folks over. He had his dad uh, over with him and they went to watch the Katie Taylor fight. Amazing. So um, fingers crossed he'll be back with us early next week so he'll be able to tell us all about that. Uh, Tank, pleasure as always, my friend. Cheers, pal. Take care. No worries. And to everybody listening, um, Massive thanks from us for, for all the support we've had since we come back. If you don't mind, can you just leave us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts, um, it, whether it's a, a rating and a little review because that helps spread the word and get it out to new people. We're also going to be on YouTube now. Uh, you'll be able to see our beautiful mugs as we talk for those that are interested. Um, so if you haven't, check out the YouTube page and subscribe. But most importantly, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Look after yourself and we'll be back with you next week on the Boot Room Podcast. All the best.